0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. We'll continue our look at the life of Jacob, his interactions with the people of Canaan. Today as we begin reading, we will look at Genesis chapter 13 or excuse me, 33 beginning in verse 18 and we'll read through the first verse of chapter 35. Hear the word of the Lord. After Jacob came from Paddan Aram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver he bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. There he set up an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, had borne to Jacob now Dinah, the daughter Leah had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. When Shechem, son of Hamor the Hivite, the ruler of that area, saw her, he took her and violated her. His heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father, Hamor, "Get me this girl as my wife." When Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the fields with his livestock. So he kept quiet about it until they came home. Then Shechem's father, Shechem's father, Hamor, went out to talk with Jacob. Now Jacob's sons had come in from the fields as soon as they heard what had happened. They were filled with grief and fury because Shechem had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not be done. But Hamor said to them, My son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her to him as his wife. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourselves. You can settle among us. The land is open to you. Live in it, trade in it, and acquire property in it. Then Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes and I will give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride and the gift I am to bring as great as you like and I'll pay whatever you ask me. Only give me the girl as my wife. Because their sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully as they spoke to Shechem and his father Hamor. They said to them, we can't do such a thing. We can't give our sister to a man who is not circumcised. That would be a disgrace to us. We will give our consent to you on one condition only, that you become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we will give you our daughters and take your daughters for ourselves. We'll settle among you and become one people with you. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, we'll take our sister and go. Their proposal seemed good to Hamor and his son Shechem. The young man, who was the most honored of all his father's household, lost no time in doing what they said because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. So Hamor and his son Shechem went to the gate of their city to speak to their fellow townsmen. These men are friendly toward us. They said, let them live in our land and trade in it. The land has plenty of room for them. We can marry their daughters and they can marry ours. But the men will consent to live with us as one people only on the condition that our males be circumcised as they themselves are. Won't their livestock, their property and all their other animals become ours? So let us give our consent to them and they will settle among us. All the men who went out of the city gate agreed with Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male in the city was circumcised. Three days later, while all of them were still in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They put Hamor and his son Shechem to the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and left. The sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and looted the city where their sisters had been def- their sister had been defiled. They seized their flocks and herds and donkeys and everything else of theirs in the city and out of the fields. They carried off all their wealth and all their women and children, taking as plunder everything in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me a stench to the Canaanites and the Perizzites, The people living in this land, we are few in number. And if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. But they replied, should we have treated our sister like a prostitute? Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Holy Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for difficult passages. We thank you for passages that sometimes we ask, why are they there? And Lord, as we open this passage today, as we look at the difficulties in this passage, we ask that you open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts so that we might see your glory, so that we might hear your voice, and so that we might be changed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I probably should have given this caveat before i read the book or the 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 passage for the day there used to be a radio station in orlando a christian radio station whose tagline was safe for the little ears in your family today's passage may not be safe for the little ears in your family and it's a passage that we kind of wonder sometimes why did god include this particular passage in his scripture we know that He did because we affirm that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable so that we can be changed for the work that God has given us to do so that our lives can be changed. But when we look at this passage, it's difficult for us to see why it's here. I mean, we have a passage about Jacob buying some property and settling next to an area, probably a growing city called Shechem named after one of the 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 son of the ruler of the city. Jacob has purchased land, he set up an altar, and, and he has settled down there next to the city in wording that we're giving that sounds an awful lot like what Lot did uh, outside of Sodom there in Genesis chapter 13. Jacob has settled, he has come to some level of comfort with the city, and we know that because he allows his daughter to go to the city to interact with the inhabitants of the city Without a chaperone, which was something that should not have been done during that time. He should have provided somebody to be with Dinah as she was out looking and interacting with the women of the land. Well, Dinah gets in trouble. Shechem, the son of the leader of the city, sees Dinah, sees that she's a beautiful woman, and he takes her. He takes her violently according to the wording of the opening of the passage here in Genesis chapter 34. And then in some strange turn of events, after having taken her violently, he suddenly becomes tenderhearted toward her, and he decides that he wants to marry this girl. Um, We learn later on in the passage that Dinah is basically a prisoner in the household of Shechem, as we're told later on, that Simeon and Levi have to rescue her, but Hamor and Shechem go to Jacob and say, look, we'll give you whatever you want. Set the bride price as high as you would like. Now, the bride price was a price paid to a family. Um, This was an agrarian society. You raised flocks, you raised uh, crops in the garden, in your fields, and uh, your labor force was your children. Um, and so whenever a daughter uh, leaves her father and mother to claim to her new husband, there is a loss of labor force. And so the husband's family will pay a bride price to replace uh, the law, the economic loss in that family. Um, they're not buying a slave or anything like that. They're compensating the family that the daughter is leaving for um, the loss of labor in the family. And so. Um, as they come to, to Jacob and his sons, and they say, um, "Set the price wherever you would like, and we will pay whatever we have to pay, in order for for us to be for in order for Shechem to be able to marry Dinah." Well, Jacob keeps quiet in this whole thing. I mean, he is silent until the end of the of the account here, and his sons Simeon and Levi, the full full brothers of Dinah speak up and say, look, we cannot allow our sister to marry into an uncircumcised people. So have all the males of the city circumcised and we'll allow you to marry our sister Dinah. Shechem's father promises as well through this marriage that um, they can have land, they can have blessing in the land if they will allow this marriage to happen. Uh, Hamor promises to Jacob what God has already given to Jacob. The land and the blessing of the land already belongs to Jacob, and yet Hamor promises to give it to them. It's almost as the devil came to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Well, there goes my bookmark. And promised to give Jesus rulership over the land, rulership over all the kingdoms of the earth if Jesus would just bow down to Satan. And Jesus reminds Satan from Scripture that the only person we are to worship is God, the God who created all things. And he told Satan to leave him alone, and Satan fled from him. Well, the men of this city find it good to be circumcised, and so they are all circumcised. And on the third day, which most people feel uh, in an adult is probably the most painful day of recovery from a circumcision. Um, Simeon and Levi take up their swords and they kill every man in the city. And they rescue their sister. Well, Jacob gets word about this. And Jacob says, Jacob finally reacts to the situation. And how does he react? Look what you've done to me. You've made my life dangerous in the land. And the brothers respond, should we have treated our sister, your daughter, like a prostitute, hopefully convicting Jacob of his lack of response and his lack of concern for Dinah. And then God commands him to move on to Bethel as he had promised and to worship him there. As I studied this, pro- this, this passage this week with the help of commentators and, and the internet tried to beat at this passage to figure out what it meant, I had all these, in, these ideas go through my mind and and i came up with three ideas that this passage is not about the first thing this passage is not about it is not about the horrors of and proper response to sexual abuse or sexual violence in a hashtag me Too world in a world where church sexual abuse scandals are striking the catholic church again and and even though it's under the radar or, or running rampant through the Protestant church, this passage is not mainly about teaching us how to respond to those types of horrors. Should we be morally indignant and outraged when people are abused, when the strong abuse the weak and use sex as a tool of violence and abuse? Absolutely we should be. And we should work as a church to protect the weak, to protect the innocent from predators and predation. But that's not what this passage is about. Is this passage about keeping appropriate distance from the world while still being part of the world? Is this passage about us being called to be in the world, but not of it? Jacob, like Lot, settles outside of a city. And like Lot, it appears that he is on that path from just being outside of it to being comfortable with it, to ultimately being a part of it. And that did not work out well for Lot, and it's not working out well for Jacob here either. And as important as that lesson is for us to remember that we are called to live in this world, we're called to work for the prosperity of this world, we're called to be a blessing to this world without letting the world fill us, that's not ultimately the true meaning of this passage. Well, how about family difficulties and the fact that Jacob had abdicated his role and become an ineffectual father? Well, that's important for us to learn as well, too. We know that Jacob played favorites with Rachel and Joseph. And maybe things would have worked out better for Dinah had she been Rachel's daughter instead of Leah's daughter. Maybe Jacob would have been more concerned about the welfare and more outraged at the abuse of his child. We actually see a contrast in this passage between Hamor and Shechem who work together to cover their sin and Jacob and his sons who work at odds one on one hand seemingly to ignore the sin and the other Simeon and Levi disqualifying themselves from leadership in the family of Jacob, which we learn that because of this instance, Jacob, when he blesses Simeon and Levi or he blesses his children in Genesis 49, he actually curses Simeon and Levi for their role in this passage. So, yes, we can learn important things about family dynamics and the consequences of bad family dynamics, but that's not ultimately what this passage is about. Ultimately, this passage is about worship. And we see this in several areas. First of this, first of all, we see this in some of the language that the narrator uses in this passage. In verse 7, the sons describe what happened as a disgraceful thing. Later on in the passage, they talk about not bringing disgrace upon their family. These are words that are used elsewhere in the Scriptures to talk about the worship life of the Israelites. We don't merely see this idea in the worship words that we see in this passage, but we also see it in Jacob's response to Simeon and Levi. He was afraid of what the communities would do around him because of their crime, because of their murder, because of their meeting violence with even greater violence. And we see there that Jacob still fears man rather than God. He lived his life. He returned to the promised land fearful of Esau. God met him at the river. God showed him his power, showed him his worship, showed him that he no longer needed to fear Esau, that he needed to fear God. And Jacob still fears man. He's just transferred that fear from Esau to the people, to the inhabitants of Canaan whom God has promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that they will ultimately be displaced and dispossessed. We see this in Simeon and Levi taking an act of worship and abusing it. Circumcision was a right that God gave to the children of Abraham to set them apart as His people. That mark made them special in the world in relationship to God. And they took it and used it as a tool of violence. Hamor and Shechem took that to that, that symbol of separation, and used it as a tool to gain wealth, to gain prestige. We see we see everybody in this passage take worship. Take their relationship with God and just twist it around and mess it up. And we finally see it in God's command when he does finally interject himself into this situation. We see it in his command in chapter thirty five, verse one. Go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. This goes back several chapters. Jacob's life is in danger. He has left his home with nothing, even though he has been blessed. He leaves his home with absolutely nothing. He is sleeping with his head propped on a rock. And God meets him there at Bethel and says, I am with you. And Jacob says, if you will be with me, I will come back to this place and worship you here. He he says he will give his tithes, but the picture there is he will worship God at Bethel. It's not bad that he set up an altar and worshiped God there outside of Shechem. What's bad is he did not go and worship God ultimately where he had promised God he would worship Him. And God finally interjects Himself into this situation by saying, go worship Me where you told Me you would worship Me. Go worship Me where I met you. We can't just worship however or wherever or whenever we see fit. We can't just go meet God in the woods on the Sunday morning or sit in a sporting event knowing that He's there as much as He is here. While that is true, God has told us in Hebrews 10 and in other places that we must gather to worship. He has told us where to be. He has told us how to worship. He has told us what to put into our worship, preaching, prayer, singing, the sacraments, minimal requirements for worship. But ultimately, what is their worship problem here in this chapter? It's their hearts. Because we can be in this place. And I know I'm speaking to the choir and I'm probably speaking more to myself today than anything, but it's where is your heart in all of this? Jacob had made a vow to God. Jacob said, when I return, I will go here and worship. His actions showed that his heart was not where he had promised God it would be. We don't gather any longer at Jerusalem or Bethel or Shechem even. They worship at Shechem when they return before the conquest happens. We are called to a church. We're called to a body of believers who gather on the first day of the week to celebrate the resurrection of Christ every week. But sometimes we join here without our heart being in it. See, it's important for us to look at this passage and to be angry at the sin that was there. But it's not the most important thing. It's important for us to avoid being so familiar with the world that we look more like the world than we do the people of God. But it's not the most important thing. And it's important for us to understand family dynamics and to work toward good God glorifying families. But that's not the most important thing that we see here. The most important thing that we see here is that we are here to worship God and we worship him as he has taught us to worship. Francis Chan tells the story of a parishioner that came up to him after church one day and said, you know what, pastor, I didn't get a thing out of today's worship service. Francis Chan looked at him and said, that's all right. We're not here to worship you. Why are we here today? Are we here to get something out of this? Or are we here to worship the God who has created us? Are we here to find a snippet from the scriptures that we can use to fight violence and injustice in the world? We are called to pursue justice in our world, but that's not why we're here. Are you here today hoping to find some rules that you can live by so that you can be distinct from the world? We are called to be distinct from the world, but that's part of why we're here, but not all of why we're here. Or maybe you're here today to find some therapeutic answer to a personal or interpersonal need. You know what? The Gospel speaks to those things, but that's not why we walked through these doors today. We walked here today to worship God. We walked here today to ascribe all glory, all power, all honor to Him. We're here today to set ourselves aside for an hour so that we can learn to set ourselves aside for the other 167 hours of the week and worship Him wholeheartedly. We came here today to meet God. We came here today to hear Him speak in His Word. We came here today to be confronted by the goodness the holiness, the glory of the God who sits enthroned above the heavens and the earth. And we're here to be reminded in that worship that He has done the work to remove from us the weight of our unholiness so that we can stand in His presence. The holy God who we are here to worship. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we are here today to be changed. We are not here for ourselves. We are here because you have called us. We are here to give all glory, laud and honor to you. We are here to lift our hearts and give them to you. We are here today to lift our lives and give them to you. Cleanse us of all other motivation. Show us where the things that we hope to get from church for ourselves are oftentimes uh, side effects of worship. When we focus on you. Help us to remember that all life is lived for Your glory and for Your honor. And remind us that You see us as righteous when we try to do that in the power of Your Son and the Holy Spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.